Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Texas Tales podcast, the show where we talk about Texas history and enjoy ourselves a cocktail or two. I'm Ryan. And this is Tracy. Why don't you pour yourself a drink and join us for what we're sure will be a stimulating, partially factual Tales About Texas. which I just think is absolutely amazing because I don't think it's something that I know that I never knew about and I don't think that I've talked to many people since then have is that there were actually POW camps, World War II Nazi POW camps in Texas um, all throughout World War II. Yeah, yeah, you were telling me this. What I didn't realize is that there were a ton of them. There are a ton of them. I saw a map um, a while ago and I was looking looking at it and there were they're littered throughout Texas. Right. I mean, it's like 70 of them. Yeah. And there's not a part of Texas they're not in. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it seems like they were, when I was looking at it, they were very heavily concentrated, kind of central Texas and east Texas. But you've mm-hmm. got them up around Dallas. You had them in Lubbock kind of area around there, up in the Panhandle, out in west Texas. And um, I think it's amazing because, I mean, so I guess what I never thought of, you never think about this, because when you see images of World War II and the videos and things like that, is you always see everything happening over there. Right. But what they're saying is, is that the United States um, had never been in a war of that magnitude where they had to house, one, take on and house as many POWs mm-hmm. as they did during World War II. Yeah, well, it makes sense, just the scale of the actual war itself, right? It's weird to me that they would ship Nazis <laughs> and Italians to Texas, Um just from a logistical standpoint, one. And then also, this is like the most evil army that we're ever that we've ever fought against. Yeah. I mean, and these why are, not bring them to the, you know, to the homeland? Yeah, and I think it started long before even D-Day, right? So a lot of people have the recollection of World War II starting D-Day. I mean, I think this was all the way through the campaign in Africa Northern Africa, through mm-hmm. Italy and kind of up that way. You know, you think about ships going over there right. loaded with men. Right. You don't think that there were thousands of men coming back this way. Yeah. And where are you going to put them? Um, Texas wasn't alone in this. I mean, I think that there were POW camps all through the United States. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the good thing about the United States, what it had was it had a lot of open land, especially right. in the south. Right. Um, and so they, they had a lot there. Texas, though, had double the amount of POWs as any other state in the nation. Mm. And the reason why... I think primarily was um, just the amount of land, rural land, um, that they could build uh, facilities on to to house the prisoners. Um, But also, um, I was reading that through the the Geneva Convention, that there was something in there that said that you had to kind of match like for like where they came from. And so they thought that uh, uh, Texas's climate was very similar to North Africa's. Hmm. And so it made a logical place for them to, to, uh, to build these camps. And when you talk about building camps, think about the amount of work it took for the locals. Oh, the labor. The labor to get 100%. it done. I think, right. I think they said Camp Huntsville, uh, which was one of the first and the largest, had like yeah. 200 buildings yeah. on site. Right. That is amazing. Well, and they essentially became little towns, right? They had to be able to feed the POWs that were on site. They had to have, I'm assuming, people to cut hair and to do laundry and to do all these things. I saw something where it said that the POWs, when they weren't sunbathing... 
and when they weren't, uh, you know, doing like woodworking, uh, they were allowed to purchase beer like every other day. Yeah, I, um, so they were bringing in alcohol. I mean, this was a, a, a small town within a town. It sounds like. Well, and you got to think about it. So all of these small towns, the boys in those towns signed up to go abroad. So who's doing the labor? Well, the POWs coming back or coming over here now are doing the labor. Because those strong lads are, you know, over there doing the fighting and killing. Dude, think about how mad, honestly, that is something I didn't think about. But think about how mad, me personally, if <laughs> I was ripped from my life to go fight a war that wasn't my war, right? But I was dragged into it. And then now you are in my town, sunbathing or doing whatever you're doing, living like a king in a POW camp. Whittling wood. Whittling wood. In a town where my family is, right? Right. I mean, I would be so upset. You're home, or you're there at my home, and I'm over here getting shot at. And your family welcomes you them, yeah. And they're probably hitting on your daughter, your sister. Oh, sure, man. Yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> right. a scene, man. It's a scene. <laughs> so I uh, I did read. Um, I was I a long time ago. I had read a book um, about San Augustine, Texas, in East Texas, and they actually had a POW camp there, which. Um, is like right in the heart of town, right? It's right, right to the Where? east. It's right to the east of, of downtown, um, towards Louisiana, obviously. Um, but like literally, San Augustine is a very small town. So it's yeah, where is that? At? Like a couple of blocks outside of San Augustine. Where's San Augustine? In? San Augustine is about 30, 40 miles east of Lufkin, um, okay. to the east side of fifty nine, kind okay. of about that way. Uh, it's still very dark east woods texas oh, yeah. right like it's the, the the lights go out and it's it's dark out sure. there in the piney woods that's like stephen f austin area yeah yep okay. yeah it's a little bit east of that so um they literally they they built some buildings i think mm. it was this was later on during world war ii it wasn't one of the initial ones but it was one of the outcroppings of it um they so they you know they put up the fencing they built the buildings and literally um people from the town would come up and hang out at the fence and talk to the Nazi POWs. That's wild. That's so wild. <laughs> Can you imagine Billy Bob just like coming out, stumbling out of town, and he goes and starts hanging out and making friends with Eichwin, uh, you know? Uh, it's so weird because <laughs> you think, I mean, you would, you would feel a certain way about these Nazis, I'm assuming. But at the same time, these are people that may have never left town. They, may, they might not have never gone over the county line. That's right. So when they see somebody from a whole different country, right, from Germany, uh, yeah, they, they're going to be they're going to be uh, interested to go up there and talk to them, and and just from curiosity alone, I would assume. But it's a, such a weird dynamic, such right? a weird dynamic, and they're so far away from home. Um, they, uh, I mean, I would imagine if I was caught and I was in fighting like they were obviously in fighting, I would imagine any prisoner camp. And by the way. Um, all the research I've done, to your point, these were not hardened criminals, meaning yeah. they weren't treated like hardened criminals. Right. They had it, generally, for being POWs, actually mm -hmm. very easy. They were they were allowed to do what they wanted to do. They, to your point, they drank beer. They, yeah. they had recreational activities. Mm -hmm. I, had, I heard they had dances. They actually had a... In, in one of them, they created their own band, and the town raised money to like buy them instruments. And the town would come into the camp and listen to them actually oh, play oh, their little German, their polka. Oh, yeah. Opa. Absolutely. Sure. And so you had this kind of weird intermingling, and they would get to leave the camp and they'd go work in the fields with the farmers that were locals. Like, 
Well, here's another thing, man, and this is something that I just thought of. Um, you know, obviously Texas was settled by a lot of Germans. That's right. So there could be, you know, a heavy population in some of these areas where they might not condone them, but I mean, they do feel some kind of tie to the heritage Absolutely. that they come from. And even if it's just a wanting to speak the language or whatever the case may be. I mean, that's, that's something that I haven't ever thought about. Yeah. Through my research, like just about other stuff, but through like world war two and stuff, mm -hmm. world war two was a very interesting war because we fought it and it was, we were fighting people that actually looked and acted and, oh, yeah. and just like us, I right. mean, just from a, a social standpoint, a cultural standpoint, a belief standpoint, they were actually very, very similar to us, mm -hmm. um, which is one of the reasons why Tex Texans welcomed them. We were so comfortable with them. Like we understood them. And then when you go over there and you're fighting against them, because obviously the atrocities that were happening over there, like they come over here, they blend in. They yeah. look kind of like you. They don't necessarily speak the same language and do that, but it's just like looking at another guy across the fence. Right. Uh, right. I think it's amazing. So as you read through it, it's, it's, there were at one point, there were um, about 425,000 prisoners of war in the United States. Well, it's half a million people. Half a million people were here imprisoned. Dude. So one thing you always hear about during World War II is like the Japanese POW camp. So like, yeah. you know, growing up you hear about that. I had never heard, and I think I'm wise about what's going on here. I, I read and listen. By the way, our boys not were not doing woodworking. <laughs> we're not. In the Japanese Absolutely. prisoner camp. So Absolutely. That's, that's such a, a drastic difference. Yeah, so they said like twenty or 30,000 were coming a month. That's insane. It's, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. What was I, it's, not, it's not something that's taught. No. It's not something that I ever thought. Like, I knew that there were some backhanded negotiations and we had Operation Paperclip or whatever, right. you know, where they're bringing, you know, important members of the Nazi party to the U.S. to give us a leg up with technology at no point. Awesome and dirty as hell at the same time. NASA. <laughs> Right. <laughs> You're welcome. But at the same time, it's like, dude, almost half a million Nazi prisoners of war were scattered throughout the United States and never heard of it. So there are more than a couple of accounts where Nazis wanted to stay here because they believed that they got married while they were here. What? Yeah. Again, the intermingling's. So they, How do you they, mistakenly get married? Because I, I, I want to avoid that if then, at all possible. And what is that paperwork that you, you <laughs> sign to get that opportunity to stay because you got married while you're in a POW camp? Right. Because they had girlfriends here. Because they found lost family members here. Like There was a million reasons why people were trying to stay here. Um, they had, uh, as you can imagine, multiple times that people escaped. Hmm. They escaped, and every time they caught them, they said they weren't planning on going home. They just didn't want to stay in the camp. Mm -hmm. So they liked it here, obviously. Yeah, sure. So they, they escaped. Um, most of them were found and apprehended pretty quickly because they didn't know where they were going. They weren't familiar with the terrain. Um, but you can imagine. And I'll go back to it. You're in rural, wherever you are, especially rural Texas. It's like you can get lost pretty easy back then. Listen, I want to write a book now. I literally <laughs> want to watch that movie. Think about that movie. A Nazi prisoner, prisoner of war camp, uh, you know, just a POW kid that got caught up in North Africa, right? Gets shipped to Texas, is in this camp, this new world, doesn't know anything about, Find, never left finds Germany, love. Finds, finds love through a fence, <laughs> right? With some Texas girl, escapes, 
you know, flees for his life, and then they meet up, and he lives the American dream with, you know, a beautiful family. That is a movie that I'm going to watch. That is amazing. Yeah, I think we have, I think we're on something there. I think that's pretty good. So um, most of the, the men were accounted for at the end, mm-hmm. and most of them were shipped back to the tune of twenty or 30000 I think it was up to 50000 at one point a month, and they were all returned home. But the United States government, um, they were forced to help rebuild uh, Paris and parts of Germany and England. The POWs. Yes. So they were commissioned by, you know, call it the, uh, the, I think by the English and, but yeah. Again, the logistics of it, right? So not yeah. only the logistics of bringing them here, setting up all of these camps, being able to house, feed, clothe all these POWs, but then the logistics of sending them back, right? What that timetable looks like. And then also sending them to these locations throughout Europe or North Africa or wherever, where they're being used to rebuild Europe. Man. Yeah, it's a story. That's a big, big undertaking. So while I think that it's not familiar to me or to you, there's a couple authors who have written books about it. I think Mm -hmm. there's some documentaries out there. I think PBS did something around, Mm. especially around Texas, where they they spent a lot of time focusing on the large number of people that were here. I think they actually do touch on the fact that Texas has a large German population and kind of how that intermingling went, went on. So yeah. I think that there's a lot of opportunities to kind of, well, there's at least a handful of opportunities to go out there and kind of read up on a little bit more detail than what we've got here. But um, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. It's mind-blowing. I love World War II yeah. history and all that stuff, right? And that's that blows my mind that I've never heard of this. So all right, so what is amazing. your favorite aspect of World War II? You know I've got... I love World War II. What is your, like, if, you, if you're going to study it, like, what part of World War II is amazing to you? To me, the Battle of the Bulge, mm. uh, again, you know, it's just kids, right? And they're literally dug in, in this forest, fighting the Nazis, and the Nazis are throwing everything they can. Is that Bastogne? That's Bastogne, sure. baby. Band of Brothers. Sure. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, man, they're dug in, they're undersupplied, they don't have the ammo, the clothes, it's winter, you know, so it's bitterly cold. Absolutely. And they got to hold the line. And if they don't hold the line, then, you know, they're going to lose some serious ground that they fought so hard to gain. Yep. Uh, You've always been fascinated by that. It's it's so amazing to me. That, to me, is the hardest, it, I just can't imagine anything being more difficult than that that scene that they were in. So yeah, that's always been my thing. I've always uh, liked the uh, game behind the game, or the game within the game. It's yeah. the the spy games. The sure. you know the English were constantly trying to understand the 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 codes, break the codes. They were trying to break the English codes. Dude, that's amazing. Then the English were trying to divert them. Like we're going to go over here. We're actually going over here. Like to me, that's the mo- like where are we going to go? You don't know where we're going to go. And Hitler actually gambled wrong. Yeah. And thought they were going to go a lot further east in France. And we you know you have that whole story of of the Allies breaking the code, but yeah. they couldn't. Like they didn't want to act on certain things because they didn't want the Nazis to know that they broke that code. That's right. So there were ships that they were allowing to be sunk, so that they could basically catch bigger fish, essentially, right? Which is amazing to me. And then the other part where they send Patton to what is it? The northern, uh, northeast, right? Northeast coast with the whole army of fake fake tanks, tanks and yeah, fake planes boats and, and everything that. else yeah. yeah it's amazing and then i think just the sheer you know when you think about world war ii obviously it was a, a large campaign over a large area but 
uh, you can't miss just D-Day and just the number of oh, people sure. that they threw the that yeah. they threw at a beach and at a coast to, to do that. They were saying that, you know, you've, we all know this, but it was generally the largest undertaking from a military force to that point in history, and I think still to this day in history. And just the amount of men or boys they threw at that coast, right? right. If that would have gone wrong for the Allies in any way, that would have been, you know, that would have been history. Well, there. and they, they also talk about the fact that America was really not prepared for this war at all right. leading up to it, right? We Our, our military was, was not at all uh the size that it needed to be and they didn't have the experience and all that so they used north africa as like a testing ground and we were and got well prepared yeah several north times africa. but the landings in north africa and all that was kind of a dress rehearsal as bad as that sounds but that's really what that helped as Absolutely. right uh and it kind of it allowed us to to learn from the mistakes and to and to to know kind of what we were up against when it came to d-day and then yeah man to your point d-day was was just a massive undertaking. I keep coming back to this, but logistically, it was just amazing. The fact that they were able to pull it off and, and do what they did, but yeah. And I we mean, didn't realize all those POWs they were taking were coming to Texas. No clue. No clue. Again, <laughs> right? I would be so mad if I'm storming the beaches and all of a sudden I got Franz and Franz in Huntsville. Over in Huntsville. You know what I mean? Hanging out with my sister. Pitching woo. To my sweetheart. Like, I'd be just livid. But, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe that's why they kept it under wraps. I mean, that's just, that's wild, man. Yeah. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe that was common knowledge back in that time. And it just didn't, it didn't warrant to be important or whatever the case is to where it's common knowledge now. I don't know. But that's such a big story. So, I guess all of the the learnings that we have through our proud Texas history that we go through all the way through school, though, they failed to mention that piece, which I think is amazing. It's a big piece. Because it's a big piece. It's a big piece. And I think... um, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure there's so much more information out there that we don't know, but I think yeah. it warrants a little bit of a, maybe some more research on it. So what I'll say here is the reason why I love this story or this topic is because it's not your typical Texas history, right? You think Texas history, which I love, obviously, yeah. uh, and it's the fight for you know independence. It's the Texas Revolution. It's it's the Alamo. It's all that good stuff, right? Love that stuff. But this is something that's just as cool to me. It's a different time, obviously, but it's something that is just another reason why Texas history is so rich. Yeah, it's deep. Yeah. And and it's an onion. I mean, there's so many layers right. to it, and you just kind of pull it back, pull it back. And I think what's, you know, we, we're, we're living history. Right? Oh, yeah. The stuff we live through today is going to be history, and there's probably stories that we're living through that won't be told later on. But this is one that I think uh, probably impacted, you know, if there were... 500,000 people in the United States and, you know, a large portion of those were in Texas. I mean, there were a lot of families that knew about this, were impacted by it and kind of lived through it for four or five years. Yeah. I mean, that was the defining moment of that generation for sure. Even if it was just four or five years, I mean, that that's something that stayed with those people. And even, you know, Betsy in East Texas and Franz who ended up... (laughs) Marrying and, and having a beautiful Living family somewhere. Around, the, around the, farm. the American dream. The American dream. Yeah, it definitely shaped their lives. All right, well, I hope you all enjoyed this one. This was a fun one. Uh, a lot more of these to come, but a little bit of rich Texas history here. Cheers. Thanks. All right, friends, that's going to do it for this episode of the Texas Tales podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. 
If you'd like to keep up with us outside of the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at TXTalesPodcast, or you can visit our online store at www.independencetrailretail.com for all things Texas swag. I'm Ryan, and that's Tracy. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.